welcome to the latest episode of our Business in Focus podcast. I'm Teresa Rousseau-Age, I'm a partner in PwC's financial services tax team, and I'm your host for today. We're excited to bring you the second of our In Conversation With episodes. These feature discussions between our people and our clients about the impact of COVID-19 on their organisations. So we're going to explore what we've learned from the disruption that we've experienced over the past year and how we can take those lessons forward to help us navigate future challenges. And we'll also discuss how PwC has been working with clients with speed, imagination and care to deliver results that make the difference. So joining me today in our virtual studio are Vijay Baradia and Marissa Thomas. Marissa is PwC's UK tax leader and Vijay is the Chief Financial and Operating Officer, that's the CFOO of Intermediate Capital Group or ICG. So ICG is a global alternative asset manager in private debt, credit and equity. It's focused on providing capital to help companies grow through private and public markets. So welcome Vijay and Marissa. So a quick question to both of you. Uh, first of all, Vijay, uh, where are you in the country today and uh, how are you doing? Hi, good morning, everybody. Uh, I am in Northwest London and I'm doing very well. Thank you very much. I had my first vaccination over the weekend, so I'm quite excited. Awesome, lucky you. Yeah. And <laughs> Marissa, hi, how are you doing? Where are you today? I'm in our Embankment Place office, Teresa, with the stay at home order lifting last week. I've uh, had some fun being back in the office and it's fantastic to be back here. And I'm really jealous about that. I can't wait to return back um, as well. I am in a somewhat sunnyish Kent today um, talking to you all. So welcome to both of you and thank you very much uh, for joining us today. Um, Vijay, can I start with you? Um, really exciting to hear that you've had your vaccine. Um, I just want to reflect with you about the last year and just to understand what has been the impact of the pandemic on ICG? Sure. Uh, so a couple of uh, points to raise there, actually. So ICG uh, was admitted to the FTSE 100 at the beginning of March, just before the pandemic last year. Uh, so we were very excited. And then the pandemic struck. Uh, our share price uh, suffered a significant decline. It lost nearly 70% in value. Our share shareholders were extremely concerned uh, on what that meant uh, what the crisis meant for us and our liquidity specifically. And given we are a March year-end company, it was very difficult to try and establish how much we can communicate to our shareholders and help them understand the resilience of our business. Anyway, fast forward a couple of months later, we were then able to share our results with them. Uh, our share prices recovered significantly since then. But specifically from a business operations perspective, uh, both fundraising and deployment, given we are an asset management firm, uh, we tend to fundraise as well as invest uh, for our funds. And fundraising and deployment came to a pause as we spent a lot of time trying to understand the impact of the pandemic on our portfolio. So we went asset by asset, company by company across all of our fund strategies to try and understand exactly how the pandemic is going to affect these companies around the world. This is across all three regions, Asia, Europe, and the US. And after about a couple of months, we managed to get to the bottom of everything. We had to create communication channels with our fund investors to help them understand how the portfolio is affected, where it's affected, and what we're doing to help our portfolio companies to reinvigorate. Uh, so that was sort of the key initial impact. 
After a few months, we then actually had to start thinking about getting back into normality. Uh, and we had to really adapt. Uh, we had to adapt to our clients, our fund investors, uh, depending on whether they were new investors or existing investors, where we had trusted relationships with our clients who are familiar with our track record, or, or they knew us, they knew our portfolio management teams. It was much easier to raise funds. When we were targeting new clients or were raising new funds, that became a lot more harder. Uh, in fact, for some of our new funds, we had to really shelve the uh, uh, strategy of raising new funds. With new clients, we started to try and think about how we can help them understand our capabilities. So in a virtual environment, it was extremely difficult. And then from an investment perspective, uh, after the first couple of months of no activity, a lot of uh, opportunities started coming up, actually, surprisingly, to our, to our own surprise. Uh, we, we saw a lot of opportunities across private equity, across private debt, across real estate as well, uh, and including our own companies where they were able to find uh, buy and build or M&A opportunities. So after about two, three months, we started getting back into normality. The first couple of months was quite, quite tough. And then finally, in terms of people, Obviously, we had to uh, uh, make capabilities of remote working for all of our uh, employees globally. We have uh, 14 uh, offices with over 400 people. Uh, so we had to figure out how we can mobilize everybody around the world uh, and make sure we can remain connected uh, with them. Uh, and so we had to introduce quite significant levels of uh, uh, communication channels at all levels, uh, in introducing pyramid systems, town halls, Otherwise, just to make sure that they were adapting quite well and we were looking after their well-being. Wow, that sounds like such a, well, first of all, a bit of a journey, such a turbulent year. Um, you kind of had me gasping at the 70% drop in the share price, um, you know, in the first two weeks of the lockdown. So you said at the very beginning that you had uh, just had your, your vaccination, which I'm really excited about for you. And it's kind of made me reflect that a couple of weeks ago, PwC published um, our annual CEO survey, and it shows that there is confidence that the crisis has bottomed out and, and vaccinations are, are evidence of that. Um, and so the majority of CEOs are expecting the economy to improve this year. So many CEOs were telling us that they're prioritizing investment in digital transformation. Does that ring true for you? Yeah, sure. I think just first on economy, uh... Uh, clearly, you know, vaccine programs are, are beginning to take effect uh, in countries uh, where they've had uh, a pretty successful rollout. Uh, this this is uh, helping the numbers to come down, the infection levels to come down. This will hopefully allow restrictions to be relaxed. Here in the UK, we've got a roadmap, obviously, through our government to look forward to. And I think that the lifting of these restrictions will clearly help uh, uh, improve the economic growth. Uh, saving rates have increased substantially, uh, and, and as restrictions are relaxed, we would expect consumer cons uh, confidence and spending uh, to, to, to revitalize and increase fueling economic growth. Uh, it was only early this week that the IMF uh, issued revised for forecasts, and they're expecting, uh, from what I read, uh, global economic growth to be about 6% per annum, which is quite significant. So I think on the whole, everybody's expecting the economies to come back up significantly, quite sharply. Uh, in terms of digital transformation, for us, the pandemic acted as a catalyst for us to accelerate uh, a lot of our technology uh, investment, specifically, as I mentioned earlier, enabling our people to work from home 
and collaborate more effectively. And what this translates into is, is simple things like rolling out laptops to over 400 people globally, uh, rolling out, uh, we use Microsoft Teams uh, as our communication channel. So rolling out Microsoft Teams literally within three days uh, uh, across our 14 offices. And that capability has actually just continued to be used much more significantly, both for our internal communication as well as our external communication. And we use that uh, sort of narrative in terms of trying to think about how do we communicate with our clients. So for example, uh, in respect of our fund investors, we tend to have fund investor days uh, where we used to, in, in pre-COVID times, uh, invite investors uh, to a specific location over two, three days and actually go through what's happening with funds, what's happening with the portfolio, introduce them to the portfolio management teams, introduce to them, uh, introduce them to the CEOs of our portfolio. We started doing that with videos uh, during the crisis. We basically brought in very high-tech video capability to do that uh, with interactive capability as well. Uh, and that's been extremely valuable, extremely effective. So we're actually now thinking about actually trying to roll that out more including for fundraising, including for deployment, including bringing our portfolio companies into the mix. And it's become quite powerful to actually connect directly with our, uh, with our stakeholders. So I expect that to continue. From a, from a workforce perspective, uh, most recently we, we rolled out uh, e-learning capability as well. Once again, learning used to be very much in person. Uh, it was quite difficult to get everybody globally to come to one place to do that. Uh, and what we are finding is that actually doing e-learning has become much easier now. And virtual reality training is, is actually proving to be quite effective. We've only tested it in some small parts of our organization, but it's actually turning out to be really effective. So I expect some of these initiatives will continue and evolve and help us all of us to work and live better. And isn't it great how things that we may not have done, you know, this time last year that, you know, one positive out of it is how the disruption is able, you know, has enabled us to really kind of move forward digitally. Um, and really interesting to hear that you're going to keep a lot of those benefits that you've, that you know, that you've accrued over the last year. So, so thank you, Vijay. Um, hey, Marissa, can I turn to you now and ask you a couple of questions as well? And Marissa, when you listen to Vijay talk about, you know, the journey over the last 12 months, and, and as you said yourself, some of our clients have had it really tough. Can you just give us some insight into how you've worked with clients during the past year and how we've supported them you know, during this pandemic? Yeah, sure. I, mean, I think you mentioned in the introduction how we've really pushed ourselves to support our clients, you know, with speed, imagination and care. And um, I, I really hope any of our clients listening right now um, feel that's how we have responded to them over, over the last 12 months. And I think in particular, imagination has been absolutely critical uh, as, as people have, you know, our clients have looked to us to reimagine how we might deliver for them. I'm not simply talking about, you know, how we deliver from them sat in our front rooms versus sat in our offices. But um, let me give you a specific example, actually. It's, you know, a lot of our the tax teams we work with in clients in particular um, were you know really had to push themselves on how is it we stay connected how is it we make sure we continue to work with advisors to ensure we're on top of all risks and issues um, while we're all working remotely and 
the kind of traditional advisory model of, you know, using us to do the tax returns, picking up the phone for some of the harder, more complex stuff. For, for a lot of clients, it wasn't enough because they they felt that uh, they needed to all, almost augment their internal capability as well as lean on us for advisors, as advisors. And so what we developed early on during the pandemic, actually it was about April, May last year, uh, was an interim managed service offering. In fact, I remember talking to, to Vijay about this last summer um, when we were talking about a possibility of a, a secondi going to ICG to support Vijay's tax team. Um, and the, the managed services arrangement by nature are long term um, because, you know, you, you tend to take a, um, a service, a, a series of tasks off a client. We provide them to the client. We take on more responsibility to set something up like that can take quite some time. But what we did in response to changing client needs and actually, a, a, you know, demands from clients to really help in a more substantial way and more quickly is developed what we call an interim managed service offering, whereby we didn't need to a commitment from a client for a, you know a, for a, a longer term period to be able to support them, and we didn't need to spend weeks and weeks working out what the current contract would look like. We quickly just worked out what support was needed and worked out how we could take the risk and some of the pressures of our clients by servicing them in a more fulsome way that augmented their internal capability. And, I, and we saw quite a lot of that type of shift, Teresa, particularly during the first six months of the pandemic. And a lot of that has stuck. Um, I'd, I'd also say, actually, our clients have got much more comfortable with us engaging with them digitally. And I'm not just talking about talking to them on screen. But, but using all forms of technology platform to share deliverables, share advice, share input, and importantly, exchange data and information. Uh, and look, uh, certainly as, um, as, as the last year has progressed, we've seen more and more of that. And, I, and I, I suspect that will endure. Again, a bit of an accelerant around how we work together. Um, and uh, it's been absolutely critical, actually, during the last 12 months. Thanks, Marissa. And, and a lot of what you've said about what you've seen certainly resonates in terms of um, what I see on my sort of day to day uh, clients uh, as well. So, Vijay, I just want to come back to you. Uh, Marissa talked about speed, imagination and care, and, and she gave some examples there. Um, and a couple of weeks ago, I was actually looking through the ICG website, a bit of a nosy, and I spotted, um, I think it was the third quarter um, interim results. And it was talking about some of the stuff, some of the wider stuff that, that ICG has done. And you haven't mentioned those. So I just wanted to, to kind of bring those up you know one of the things that I saw which I thought was really inspiring was you know donating more than three hundred thousand pounds to support relief efforts so as you haven't touched on that so far would you mind just talking a little bit about it and saying why that was important to ICG as part of you know its response and your response to the pandemic uh, sure Teresa first of all thank you for being nosy and and looking at ICG's website any advice on how we can improve will be more than welcome uh, so let me just talk about uh you know not just donation but you know ESG I think uh in a more broader sense uh ESG and suddenly the s part of ESG has suddenly become more prominent in how businesses think about what they do and why they do it 
Uh, we, we take ESG very seriously in terms of both at the firm level and most importantly, uh, in terms of how we invest responsibly uh, through our fund portfolio. Uh, at the firm level, uh, you mentioned the donation. Uh, yes, we, we, we donated uh, to a couple of charities which are focused in working to lessen the impact of COVID-19 on people around the world. Uh, we have separately actually committed 1.5 million pounds uh, to the Education Endowment Fund in the UK, uh, which is dedicated to breaking the link between family income and uh, educational achievement. Uh, during COVID-19, this particular foundation actually worked with the UK government uh, to provide additional support to children who actually missed out on development needs during the, the real uh, uh, tough times uh, last year. Uh, in respect of our portfolio, this is where we are able to make the, the most impact, really, frankly. In addition to having exclusion lists or having very robust uh, ESG or climate risk assessment screening process in terms of our investment process, uh, from, a, from a societal impact, uh, what, what we did with our portfolio companies was try and find angles on how they could support societies in the in, in the local countries that they operated in. Uh, so for, once again, sort of just to call out some very anecdotal examples from our portfolio in UK, again, uh, one of our UK portfolio company repurposed 1000 staff uh, to really go out and uh, deliver uh, food and uh, supplies to hospitals, care homes, or people who are uh, uh, needing such types of equipment, PPE or otherwise. Uh, a company in South Korea, uh, which manufactures cosmetic puff, uh, repurposed some of its uh, manufacturing capabilities to produce face masks and donate face masks to local relief organizations. Uh, another European pharmaceutical company repurposed its manufacturing facilities to effectively produce uh, disinfectant gels uh, to provide uh, local emergency relief efforts. So, so those are the kind of ways that we've tried to find uh, to try and make an impact to society. Uh, so as I said, I think ESG is going to become quite prominent. Uh, S has become more prominent now because of the crisis. Uh, at our board level, we've actually also nominated somebody uh, a board member to be directly responsible for ESG matters. And I think this topic is going to continue to be at the forefront of businesses for some time now. And so much of what you said is is really uh, inspiring and you must feel incredibly proud um, of, of what the, the group has done um, over over the last year. So so well done to, to you and to, and to your colleagues. Um, can I just uh take a step back from everything that there's so many kind of interesting threads that we sort of talk through um looking and reflecting back over the last year but looking forward can i just ask you what your key priorities are for the coming year yeah so i think the the, the most significant priority in the near term uh is really getting our employees uh comfortable with what the new norm could look like uh, and, and that's not an easy task. I think I think going into lockdown was very easy. Actually, coming out of lockdown and returning back to offices is not going to be straightforward. And I think we, uh, with our footprint, will have to uh, uh, determine how do we actually get people comfortable uh, of coming back to the office and, and what that time frame would be. We will need to help people understand 
what it will take. Some people would, may not be able to take vaccinations. Vaccination programs may not be uh, available to all the countries we're operating at the same pace. So we'll actually have to adapt with people in terms of when we get back to the office. And, and then the other challenge that we need to think about, uh, and I know PwC has actually taken quite a proactive approach about this. Last week I, I read about this, is really what choice is offered to employees in terms of flexibility of working. Uh, you know, whether we have uh, a hybrid mechanism uh, or do we have, you know, different teams having to come into the office or different teams can continue to work from home. So it will really depend uh, by country, by function as well. Investment teams will be very different to back office functions, would be very different to marketing functions, for example. So we like to figure out exactly how we actually go about doing that. So we've started some of that work but it's not very straightforward to actually try and strategize that given different governments have got different strategies in terms of opening up. Yeah, and, and as you as you referenced, yeah, over the last week, we've come out in public and said that, uh, you know, what are approaches to return to work, which is giving people the choice and, and sort of saying, it, you know, the expectation is that people will be in between two to three days. Um, per week, but as as you've highlighted, there's so many kind of complexities um, around that, and a real kind of centre of that is around employee well-being. And one of the things that our CEO survey focused on was the fact that it was it, CEOs are beginning to say that employee well-being is becoming increasingly important. So, can I ask both of you, and maybe I might switch to Marissa first, actually, and say, as people leaders, do you think that, given everything that's happened over the last twelve months, that we're experiencing a permanent shift in the way in which we think about well-being at work? Well, thanks for that, Theresa. I mean, I, I'm not sure you can separate well-being at work from well-being more generally, uh, and I think that has really, for me, I think come home over the last 12 months when we've been working at home or some people would say living at work and you know I, I, I do think the experience of the last 12 months and what we're experiencing over the coming months as people start to shift their work pattern once again um, is is quite a different approach to well-being and uh, you know I think previously and as, as you know as an employer we have always been very very focused on um, encouraging people to work flexibly and work in a way that allowed them to to maintain and optimize their well-being but i would say historically we've done that probably in quite a traditional way through well one promoting flexible working but two providing people with resources to allow them to invest in their own you know mental health to invest in stuff that really is additive to to their well-being but i think now what what we're seeing a real shift in is is he really empowering people to work in a way that in itself recharges their well-being? And that's part of what our announcement was about last week. You know, it wasn't about working less and not being there for clients. It was about let's take some of the really good things about the way we've worked over the last 12 months that have really added to our well-being effectiveness and let's make sure we keep them and just really empowering our people to 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 investing that and uh, and keep going with uh, the more flexible ways of working that have allowed us to 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 keep the well-being moving over the last year or so thanks marissa and to you vj same question do you think that we're experiencing a permanent shift in the way in which we think about well-being at work 
Yeah, I would uh, I would echo uh, what Marisa mentioned. Uh, one of the other challenges is actually there have been some positive impacts of working from home. Uh, by the way, people talk about return to work. I think people have always been working throughout the pandemic. It's about return to office. Uh, so I think I think the key here is 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 productivity. I think arguably has increased significantly uh, where people have been working from home. Uh, and also, it has helped people connect vir virtually, globally, where in the past, people were not able to connect so seamlessly. So there's been some pretty positive impacts. And the, and the key question is going to be, how do you maintain some of that whilst you still want to come back into some kind of a, 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 an in-person working environment? And I think, although we've had some positives, this doesn't replace two key factors, at least for us uh, as an organization. First is maintaining the culture. Uh, th this is much harder to do virtually. Uh, you know, we've been hiring, for example, in our case, we've been hiring throughout lockdown at all levels. And whilst we can train everybody to settle within the firm virtually, many have never met their team members and most haven't met anybody else within the firm. So over the long term, this can actually have a quite detrimental impact in terms of maintaining the culture of an organization. So we have to think about how we keep that as well. The second element is creativity. It's very hard to have innovation uh, without collaboration in person. Uh, so that's one of the other areas that we're thinking about. How do we maintain the well-being of people, but actually still maintain the culture and the creativity that was being created uh, by, by being able to work in person together? And also, finally, uh, agility. Work from home has meant that people have always been on throughout, right? Uh, people have been constantly working. And this is translated to the speed of change that some organizations have been able to harness. People have been, organizations have been able to execute on some things very quickly in some cases because of the ability to do things virtually and people working all hours. Uh, I don't think this is sustainable. Uh, it's one thing during a crisis to be all hands on deck during, and working very long hours. It's another thing being able to keep that over the long term. So we need to think about how can we keep the agility, but actually still make sure that the well-being of our employees is remain intact. I was literally nodding along to so much of what you were saying there that really kind of resonated um, with me. This has all kind of gone so fast and I've got a final question um, for both of you and I'll probably turn to Marissa first and then leave you with the last word, Vijay. Um, which is when you kind of think back, what are the biggest lessons that you've learned from the pandemic as leaders? So to you, Marissa, first. So I think I'll, I'll call out one, Teresa, and that's that's around listening. Um, you know, I listening obviously is critically important, listening to our clients, our, our employees, our stakeholders and um but the last year has really taught me that you can never stop listening. I think the I've been quite surprised at which the pace at which sentiment from employees, from clients, from other stakeholders can shift really quite suddenly. So, you know, one thing that I've been really focused on is don't assume what you heard and listened to last week still stands this week. You know, take every opportunity to to validate, retest and listen again, because I think uh, Listening has been absolutely invaluable over the last 12 months. Brilliant. And Vijay, your biggest lessons from the pandemic as a leader? Yeah, I uh, 
two lessons actually. One is very similar to Marisa's actually, uh, and it is related to listening. But it's for me, it's about engagement. Uh, I think this pandemic has uh, taught me to engage more with my teams, with my clients, with my stakeholders. Really try to understand them better, uh, which comes on to what Marisa was saying about listening. You know, and the only way I could do that was actually make that extra effort to connect with people. Uh, and I think over communication and over engagement is something that I learned is, is, is never going to be enough. So that's one thing that I took away. The other thing that I had to take away, given the level of crisis I had to deal with, was being bold to make quick decisions. Uh, you know, in a crisis, one will never have all the answers as a leader. However, you need to be seen to be in control and show that your resilience to be able to make decisions very quickly and bring your people with you as they'll be looking for direction from you as a leader. And that took a while for me to understand. And to me, that's the, the second thing that I've actually taken away from this crisis. Vijay, thank you so much. Great answers, both of you, to, to, to that final question. Um, and unbelievably, that actually draws us to the close of another episode of In Conversation With um, in our Business in Focus podcast. Thank you so much, Marissa and Vijay. I really, really enjoyed that. Um, and I hope our listeners have too. So thank you to both of you. And also thank you to everyone for listening. During the podcast, I've mentioned a couple of times um, our CEO fight survey findings. So if you'd like to explore them further, or read some of the one-to-one -one interviews that we've got with some of the UK's top CEOs, and there's some really, really good ones. Have a look at our website, it's pwc.co.uk forward slash CEO survey. And finally, don't forget to keep up to date with future episodes, so subscribe. And thank you again, everybody, and stay safe. Mm -hmm.